Hello, it's 5th of November and this is episode 47 of Scavenger's Horde, a Star Wars podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Kirsty. We're here to deliver a regular rundown of Star's news, analysis and commentary with a focus on the sequel trilogy, the future of the saga. So how has your week in Star Wars been, Kirsty? It's been really good because we have a lot of stuff to talk about this week. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It seems like um, the promotional train is kicking into gear like earlier than I thought it was going to. Mm. And all of a sudden there's like this avalanche of things. It's yeah. a bit overwhelming, but in the best way. Exactly. I think the lesson from this is to never underestimate the fact that magazines come out early. <laughs> yeah. And that we get a lot of stuff from them because... Yeah, we skipped last week because we didn't really feel there was much substantial to say and we kind of wanted to take advantage of that whole calm before the storm to just have a week off and chill a bit. And we definitely did that at the right time because we could not possibly skip this week. Otherwise next week we'd just be like, nope, sorry, not going to be able to cover many, many things because there's just way too much. Yeah, well, you know, in my head I kind of thought that after the trailer it would be quiet for a few weeks. Mm. I didn't realise that, that we were going to have these new TV spots and that so quickly after. Yeah. So that's been really interesting. And it's been fun that some of them have been a total surprise. Um, And like the t- the TV spot, the is it the Awaken one? Is that what it's called? Mm-hmm. I, I caught it live because I was, you know, the baseball was just on. And yeah. I was like, wait, this isn't the trailer that we've had. This is different. And this has yeah. new things. It was so exciting. That is such an exciting feeling. I was at the cinema yesterday to watch Velma, which is this really weird Norwegian film about a girl with psychic powers, and it's great, and I really recommend it. But the point is that before the film started, during the ads, I wasn't paying attention. I was just on my phone because it's the adverts, and who cares about them? Um, And then I heard this lightsaber ignite, and I immediately looked at the screen, (laughs) and there was Rey in The Last Jedi. And I was like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. And then it got even better, because they showed this new shot of Rose. And this yeah. clip still isn't online anywhere, um, but it was Rose and one of the skimmers on Crate, and I was like freaking out. I immediately like typed to Kirsty, I just saw Rose! <laughs> um, and it was such a great moment, and I was thinking, this is my life for the next few weeks, and it's great, like just to be ambushed by Star Wars, basically. Yeah, I was really excited to get that message from you because we haven't seen an awful lot of Rose in the promo so far. Mm. Although we we got more of a hint with the behind the scenes footage that they showed with USA Today. Yeah. Um, but hearing that she's flying on Kray is interesting because we I don't think we've had anything of her in what we presume is Act Three so far. Mm. Of like, if we're assuming that Kray is towards the end of the movie, I'd I'd seen some people speculating that Rose might die because we hadn't seen anything of her at that point. I didn't believe that. Yeah. Um. But it's nice that there's like a confirmation that she's going to be there throughout the movie now. So and to see her fly by herself, that'd be really cool as well. Yeah. No, exactly. It was really exciting to see her. So hopefully it portends more Rose to come. Because in my experience of TV spots, what they do is they will have TV spots focused on different aspects of the story. Mm-hmm. So I really hope at one point we get, say, like a TV spot that's really focused on the Finn and Rose part of the story, because then yeah. that should give a lot of Rose, and I'd love to see that. Yeah, same. Um, right, just to get the housekeeping out of the way, if you haven't done so already, please do rate and review us on iTunes, because that really helps us out. And if you have any questions for the podcast, please do send them to scavengershoard at com. I know it's been a while since we last got questions, but that's because... We haven't had 
that many and when we do tend to get questions they're extremely long i'm talking like thousands of words and while we really appreciate that people want to send us their thoughts in such a long format it's not really practical to read messages like that out so yeah if you do want to send us a question it would be great if you could keep the length down because then that makes it more realistic for us to read it out during the show Another thing I wanted to mention before we get into the show properly um, is that I wanted to plug our friend's new podcast. Mm, uh, it's called yes. Meta Machina, mm-hmm. and it's by Erin, Nat, and Shy, who I think we've all we've had all of them on the show at some point or other. Yes. Um, and yeah, they're three of our friends in fandom, and they've just started this podcast. It's not just about Star Wars, although they will mention it, um, but it's about the female gaze in fandom and storytelling in general. Uh, which is obviously something that's close to our hearts as well. So I'm super excited about this show. and I'm so happy for them because the first episode was great mm. and I can't wait to hear more. So I just wanted to tell people to go and listen to that if that's something they're interested in. Yeah, no, thank you so much for remembering that, Kirsty, because <laughs> I have listened to the first episode as well and it was really fantastic. And yeah, I'm really happy for them that it's happened. So I first heard murmurings about this project months ago. And so it's really exciting to see it come to fruition in this way. And yeah, it's a kick-ass podcast and it's really fun to listen to. So yeah, long may it continue and go and listen to them because it's awesome. The first thing we want to talk about is that there has been a bunch of new footage released from the movie since the official full-length trailer. And... This is going to be something of a general discussion of all the stuff that's come out because we could easily have different segments on each thing. But if we did, we'd be here for like five hours, like breaking it down shot by shot. And we just can't. We cannot do that. We can do that for the full trailer, but we can't do that for everything that comes out because therein lies the way to madness. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So yeah, there's been lots of stuff to come out. I'm just going to try and list it mentally. And if I miss anything or forget anything Kirsty, please prod me because there probably is more but in the first instance the most substantial new thing we've got is that there's a new tv spot called awake and that is almost all new footage and there's new dialogue and it's very exciting then there's a much shorter tv spot called destiny which is really just a recut of the main trailer but it's quite cool it distills the trailer down to core elements i guess you could say um, then there's a behind-the-scenes reel that got released in USA Today, which is mostly people going, oh my god, oh, I love Star Wars, it's so fun to be in Star Wars, yay! Which is <laughs> which is lovely. Um, and then, last but not least, there's an international trailer from Japan that has a few new shots, but there's really not that much new in it. Um, and I think that's everything, is that right, Kirsty? Yeah, I think so. Honestly, I would say that it's last and least for the international trailer because I kind of heard that international trailers in general do show you like a new emphasis on the story or they'll offer new hints. But it seemed like this one, they were really playing their cards close to their chest Yeah. because, yeah, we got two new shots. I think Kylo's helmet and Ray looking stressed out and confused on that too. Um, But that's about it. And it was, oh, I'm sorry. There was also C-3PO. Yeah, very important, Kirsty. How can you forget that? <laughs> but yeah, like I, I was, I had my fingers crossed so hard for more Rose in the international trailer, and it just unfortunately didn't deliver. So yeah, it was a real letdown. But luckily, this awake TV spot more than made up for it. I think because yeah. that was yeah, that was badass. fantastic. Yeah, that was really exciting. Yeah. So Kirsty, you saw that live. So describe being in that moment. You were watching what 
sport was it again? It was the World Series. I actually wasn't watching. I was reading the Book of Dust, and my husband was watching the baseball. <laughs> okay. And then, and then he was like, "Wait, is this new Star Wars?" And I was like, "Oh yeah, they're just showing the trailer again." And then he was like, "No, that's Luke on the Millennium Falcon." And I'm like, <laughs> Ow. Oh my god! And I just heard the music, and I just figured they were showing the trailer again. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it was really exciting. So we yeah. had yeah Luke on the Falcon. We had Ray holding that lightsaber in the rain, looking down at someone. And you have Luke on the floor in the rain. So they're obviously trying to get you to put those two things together, whether or not it plays out like that in the movie. Mm. And you had more of Snoke's throne room. It was very intriguing. Yeah, it's really cool. I, I was thinking we could maybe talk in more depth about this particular TV spot, because I really do think there's some interesting things to talk about here in a mm-hmm. way that isn't quite as true of the other things. Um so yeah, you start off with Luke in the Falcon, really. And that is just so, so cool. Like I think Mark does a great job of his face acting there because you get so much history from his expression. Oh, yeah. It's just so loaded with regret and nostalgia. And oh, it just gave me shivers. You know what? I really love this because like the emphasis on the Millennium Falcon and Han Solo coming into it in the TFA marketing was almost the polar opposite. Mm. Like that was really about him being like, we're home, like this nostalgic happiness, like feel good thing. Mm. And this just seems to be like a conscious contrast to that because it's really highlighting the difference in Luke at this point. Yeah. And how he's almost looking at the Falcon, almost like it kind of reminded me of the deleted scene with Kylo in The Force Awakens, where they're looking at something that holds so many memories to them. And it's almost with this like haunted feel. Yeah. It was really powerful. No, absolutely. And I think it drives it home more, the costume he's wearing. He's wearing this like dark hooded costume. And so that automatically makes Luke more like badass and brooding. And yeah, it just creates all these cool shadows on his face. And yeah, just all this regret, man. It's so, so powerful. And Mm -hmm. it just makes me want to dig inside his brain. Sorry, that sounds really creepy. (laughs) Do you know what I mean, though? Yeah. I am so excited to see Luke in this film. Yeah. Because I just think it's going to be, like, just not a complete departure from what we've seen of him before, but, like, something you never thought you would get to see. This, you know, what is Luke Skywalker going to be, like, 30 years later after everything that's happened with his nephew? Exactly. Like, that's... It's just so intriguing. It's fascinating, yeah. Um... Then the next thing I have in my notes is sad puppy exclamation mark Kylo, Um, Mm -hmm. which is because there's a shot of Kylo looking extremely sad and mournful just before he destroys his mask. Um, I don't think there's that much of substance to say about this other than that Adam has a very good sad face. Seriously, I don't know how he does it, but the way he acts as Kylo, he looks like he's about 19 years old or something. He does. He just looks so vulnerable and sad and his like pouty lips are like trembling and he constantly has tears in his eyes. It's just like, okay, clearly they are not going for he's more badass than ever. (laughs) Yeah, which is so satisfying to me. I play a game with my non-Star Wars friends where I'll show them pictures of Kylo and ask them how old they think he is. Um, so I showed that shot of Kylo looking really sad to um, a friend and I asked her how old she thought he was and he's like mm, late teens <laughs> and <I was> like, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah so this is an interesting thing because I see a lot especially with a lot of the recent comments from Ryan Johnson and Adam Driver himself like talking about how Kylo 
kind of represents this angsty, selfish side of adolescence, right? Mm-hmm. You have a lot of fans going, but he's 29. And I know that is his age in canon. Um, so the whole fairy tale metaphorical side of Star Wars aside, I kind of feel like they gave him that age, partly because of the actor's age, but also because that kind of connects everything in the sequel trilogy to the original trilogy. Like that's the timeline now. It's yeah. going to be Ben Solo's life and his fall and his potential redemption. Yeah, um, he's a bridge, basically. Yeah, I don't. I don't think the general audience is necessarily supposed to understand how old he is. Yeah, we only know that because of the extra material. So. Yeah. It's more about what the character symbolizes than his actual biological age. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Then there's a really cool shot of Snoke's throne room with a sneering Hux inside it, um, or so it looks. And over that, we get some new dialogue from Snoke. He says, "Okay, let me do my best, Snoke." <clears throat> Darkness rises, and light to meet it. <laughs> that kind of thing you know mm. <laughs> um, sorry I really really want to do that read of the four stuff awaken and be Snoke that is like my acting aspiration at this point hey, we, we've been invited to do it so we'll yeah, just seriously, see if that pans out get on the case about that I tell them I really really want to do it because I do um, it'll be funny yes <laughs> it's a very interesting line I think it's reasonable to assume that he's kind of talking about Rey and Kylo with that, would you say so, Kirsty? I think he has to be. Especially because the way that the line is written, to meet it, and you have Kylo with his outstretched hand to Rey in the full trailer, it's like, it's about darkness and light meeting. Yeah. To, w- to what end, we don't know. There's been all this theorising about the balance of the Force and that. Um, but again, like it all seems to thematically tie in with what we got from the start of the original teaser, you know? So. Yeah. It's all feeding into one narrative, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, you see like Kylo and Rey on screen when he's saying this. In particular, you see Kylo's hand clenched around the hilt of his lightsaber as he ignites it, which is interesting. It's a new shot. It's a shot I think they used in promos when they were building up to the new trailer, but we mm. hadn't seen it in proper full quality before this. So that was a bit of a thrill. And then... They also show a shot of Ray with her lightsaber, so it is driving home that point that he's talking about Kylo and Ray when he says like darkness and light, um, and yeah, so badass and cool. And that throne room man, like, do you want to talk about that throne room shot, Kirsty? Yeah, so that's the first time we've seen it, other than in behind the scenes footage. So this is mm. how it's going to look in the movie, presumably, and that's really exciting. So you get this wide shot and you can see Hux, although it took me a few times to watch the TV spot to spot him. <laughs> Partly because I have bad eyesight, but, you know, it's just a wide shot and he's just one figure. So, yeah, like, I, it almost looks like we're seeing it from Kylo's point of view as he's walking in. Mm. It looks like that could be what's going on. Yeah. Because Hux is kind of looking behind, right? Yeah, it, they really do imply with that shot that someone's entering the room and that we're seeing the throne room as they see it, basically. I've seen someone make a really cool observation that they think all that striking, overbearing red really makes that throne room very reminiscent of hell, mm. which is a really cool idea. And I really like that because, yeah, that's a nice, cool image to have for the big bad's lair, if you like, because with the Emperor's throne room, it's all black, 
and chrome, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. The Emperor's throne room is really cool, but it's not that unusual. And Snoke's throne room just looks really weird and almost surreal. And I really love that vibe to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it was John Boyega in one of his interviews we'll talk about later that he was saying the red that they've been using throughout the marketing, and now you see it in the trailer itself. Like it, it does have this strong connection to the story. Mm. Um, and it does just feel more sinister, doesn't it? Like an entire room of red, that's intense. Exactly. Yeah. No, it's got a really powerful feel to it, which I really like. It's also worth mentioning that in that image of the throne room, there's this really weird apparatus on the either side of Snoke's throne. Um, and we can only speculate about what that is, but it does almost look like torture like equipment. And because there's two of them, the speculation going around is that maybe one is for Kylo and one is for Rey, and that Snoke wants to do something freaky to do with those two people and their Force powers, because it's clear that Kylo and Rey both have this incredible potential in the Force, and it's like, well, Snoke is the big bad, so is he going to want to exploit that in some way? And maybe mm. that equipment could be to do with that. But that's obviously just theorising, and who knows how much is in that, if anything. Yeah, I do think it's an interesting idea of Snoke wanting to use them both, because like, it goes with what he's saying here, um, the idea of the dark and light meeting, and the mm. idea of them producing something that's greater than the sum of the parts, you know? Yeah. Um, but also it fits with kind of what we've had before with things like how Snoke perceives Kylo from, and like, the embodiment of dark and light and like where he comes from and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, that he somehow values this kind of balance, but probably not in a positive way that it's something that he can exploit for his own gain. Exactly. I'm so curious to find out what Snoke's plan is and how he perceives Kylo and presumably Ray in particular, because I think whatever he wants, they're going to be crucial components in that game. Yeah. There's so little to go on from The Force Awakens, right? Because you have him saying, like, bring the girl to me, but it's almost like he's doing that just to... Because he's heard she's powerful, but also that, like, she's a weakness for Kylo. So I can't wait to hear more of Snoke's motivations and how they fit in with the wider story, because there's just very little right now. Exactly. I think the character will become a lot more interesting as well when we have that greater depth of insight into him and what the hell he's doing. Because, like you say, right now it's all very superficial and there's not much to it. Mm. And then there's new shots of Finn and Leia, which is always really cool. Um, did anything stand out to you about those shots in particular, Kirsty? Um, not really. Like, I was excited to see them, but I don't feel like they tell us an awful lot more about the story. Yeah, same. Because they're kind of in keeping with what we've seen. But, like, the Finn shot, it was great. But we've already seen pictures of him like flying on crate and stuff like that. So yeah. I'm always glad to see more of them, but I don't feel like there's an awful lot to say. Mm. The one about the one with Leia, I did I did wonder because before in the full trailer I pointed out that the people in the background didn't look like they were in particular panic about anything. Yeah. So I was wondering if that was actually supposed to be at the point where the resistance being attacked. But in this part, it did look like they they were a bit more concerned. Yes. So I'm not really sure how that works. Like, um, I guess we'll see once it plays out in the full movie, obviously. But yeah. it's just interesting how it has kind of changed that a bit more for me. And I'm, now I'm wondering if how it showed in the in the trailer really is supposed to be them being attacked. But for some yeah. reason, 
those people behind were looking a bit more casual. I think maybe it's that the idea will be that Leia realizes that something's coming before anyone else does because of right. link with Kylo. Yeah. So she is literally in his head, so she knows that he's coming for them. And the other people on the ship might be more complacent and might think they're fine because Kylo's ship is extremely fast and he can take them by surprise. Mm. Um, so Leia knows, but she isn't letting on that she knows. But right. then presumably the shot that we see in the TV spot is a bit later on when the urgency of the situation has become clearer. Like, who knows whether that's because Kylo has shot on them or because someone else has shot on them. Like, we have no idea. But yeah, you're definitely right that the people in the background are reacting differently. And in that, they're reacting at all because in those trailer <laughs> shots, they're just chilling and wandering about nice and slowly. Yeah, I really like that idea of Leia sensing him because it feels like more of a continuation of what we got with Empire and her sensing Luke yeah. um, and having that communication. Like, I just love the thought of Leia and Kylo communicating through the Force. Yeah, I kind of think they have to, like, especially because you kind of see that already at the end of The Force Awakens mm. um, because you see Leia sensing Han's death. It's not clear whether she's sensing the fact that Han has died or the fact that her son has done that, but it's clear that there is some kind of simultaneous psychic thing happening between those two characters like through the Force. Yeah. And yeah, I, I think it's really cool that it looks like Ryan is going to be building on that. Definitely. Um, yeah, and then the money shot in the trailer, the shot that I've seen lots of people talking about, is Ray standing over Luke, or at least this is how it's assembled to look. You know, you can never say for sure what's actually happening in these things. Um, in the rain, and she's holding her lightsaber over him and looking very angry. Um, so, yeah, I've seen so many interesting and occasionally amusing comments about this because I've seen some people be like Ray better not kill Luke <laughs> and it's like I really don't think that's what's happening and some people have even figured out that the shot we see is actually misleading because it's reversed so in the shot in the trailer it makes it look like Ray is raising her lightsaber into an attack stance but if you look at it carefully, you realise the movements are unnatural and it should actually be reversed that Ray is lowering the lightsaber. So we're probably seeing Ray at the end of a fight rather than at the beginning of a fight. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting because to lower the saber, she would have to raise it in the first place anyway. So why not use that shot? <sighs> it's a good question. <laughs> um, maybe there is something else showing in the shot when she's raising the saber that gives away something they don't want to give away. Mm. so the shot from the end of the fight might be less revealing or it might just make a better trailer shot you know her expression might be more whoa badass or whatever it's very difficult to say with these things yeah I promise myself I'm not using the word misdirection like ever again when it comes to Star Wars <laughs> because it's all I've been hearing and that yeah. probably just means I listen to too many podcasts but <laughs> it's like okay we get it yeah. Obviously, trailers are constructed to, you know, make people more intrigued and not necessarily give everything away. That's never been their purpose, but <laughs> I've heard it misused so many times. Yeah, now I know what you mean. It gets a bit tedious, doesn't it? The issue is not so much people pointing out that things are being assembled in a way that creates a different sense of the progression of shots from what will actually pan out in the film because that's true that's clearly what's happening mm -hmm. but the issue is that people 
are only talking about these trailers in terms of misdirection. So that's almost like the exclusive narrative around them. Oh, it's all misdirection. They're all just trying to mislead us. And so that kind of becomes an excuse to not really talk about what's shown in these trailers and TV spots. Because it's like, oh, it's all misdirection, so it doesn't actually mean anything for the story. And I think that's a mistake. Like, it's just my opinion, but yeah, that's how I feel about it. I think when people talk about misdirection, they're talking about it in these different ways. So it's just supposed to conjure up these general themes and ideas and character arcs. So you get the broad strokes of Luke is obviously unhappy about something and haunted and unsure of where he stands now with the Force. And Rey isn't finding what she needs either. Um, and, and Kylo is unhappy where he is. So it, those general things, I think, are going to play out in the movie. It's just you don't need to worry about the finer points so much. Yeah. But of course we will, because that's exactly what we're doing. Exactly. Um, so maybe Ray is pointing the saber at Luke. Maybe she's pointing it at Kylo. It doesn't really matter to me, because I'm just excited to see whatever Ryan does. Yeah. Um, but just the fact that they're even suggesting that it's a possibility that she's holding it out at Luke is interesting. Yeah. Right? Even if that doesn't play out that way in the movie, it's supposed to be pointing to the fact that these two aren't going to be buddy-buddy. Yeah, exactly. It suggests antagonism between them. Like, mm-hmm. which shouldn't really be a shock if you've been paying attention because people noticed it even in that very first teaser poster with Ray, Luke, and Kylo. Because Luke didn't look like a friendly, benign wizard character. He looked really pissed. And he was also covered in oversaturated red, which is not traditionally a benign or friendly colour. So if you read into stuff like that then that alone indicates that Luke probably isn't going to be on the greatest of terms with Rey and that mm-hmm. there's probably going to be some kind of divide or like ugh, aggression almost within that relationship um, and yeah I think we're just seeing that come to pass now in the marketing or at least that's what they want us to get from the marketing is that yeah these characters aren't best friends they're not like skipping around and doing Yoda and Luke style training after like a bit of teasing like which is what happens in empire there's deeper seated issues going on with that relationship and that makes it more interesting to me definitely like that's it's i think it's going to make for a much more interesting luke than we would have had otherwise with him in that wise sage role exactly so i see um some people expecting like a karate kids sort of dynamic and like that's fine but that's a dynamic from another movie and i'd rather just have a Last Jedi dynamic, please. <laughs> I want something that's unique to this film. Not to say that you don't get adversarial, mentor, mentee relationships in other books and stories. Of course you do. But I think it's something that's relatively new for Star Wars, at least to the films. So. Yeah, and I think because of what we got with The Force Awakens um, between Rey and Han Solo, even though it was cut short, she obviously had grown attached to what he represented for her. So for that reason, we've said before, like it would be almost redundant if Luke then filled that role because then she has everything she needs and there's nothing that pushes her to grow. Exactly. Yeah, I was like, oh, great. I found everything I needed and wanted. This is awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's not the stuff of drama. Um, Yeah, just quickly, is there anything you want to say about those other like new TV spots and trailers I mentioned? Are there any shots or aspects of them that stand out, including the behind the scenes reel? I've only watched the behind the scenes reel once, so there's probably mm. all sorts of stuff there. Like I think there was some cool shots of like Finn and Rose in their undercover uniforms. 
Yes. Um, which we've seen before, but it's still cool to get more of that because that's a side of it that we haven't seen an awful lot of in the marketing so far. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the one thing that stands out to me is that in the behind-the-scenes reel, there was a shot of Finn, Rose, and DJ together yes. undercover, um, yeah. which is really cool because we hadn't previously realised that DJ was going undercover with Finn and Rose. Mm-hmm. So that was a bit of a revelation. And it's like, ooh, DJ does stay in the story longer than we might have thought otherwise. Yeah, I think some people have just kind of assumed that they would get what they needed from him on Kanto Bite, and then that would just be his part. But the fact that he's coming with them to the First Order, and to be fair, I think quite early on, making Star Wars had had something about like their various code names being included in the same scene, like when they were on the Star Destroyer. So yes. this confirms that, I guess. Yeah, and I also remember there was a um, report in the Daily Mail, like in early in 2016. Um, from when Prince William and Prince Harry were doing cameos um, in The Last Jedi because it said something about there being a scene filmed with um, John Baega, Daisy Ridley and Benicio Del Toro Mm. and it seems that they probably got Daisy Ridley confused with Kelly Marie Tran because we now have evidence that those three characters are all in a First Order facility together. Right. So... Yeah, I think that that ties up nicely, which is really cool. Yeah, I think that makes sense because Kelly's a newcomer and maybe a lot of people weren't aware of her being cast at that point. Exactly. Um, Yeah, so yeah, it's a complete bonanza for Star Wars footage and new stuff. But it's great because it's not like it's telling us too much. I think it's still relatively restrained and it's just all about building up an impression of the themes that are going to go on and the dynamics we can expect. So yeah, it's all really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, right, then the next thing to talk about is that Adam Driver has been interviewed by GQ magazine in the UK. And this is a lovely spread. I have this magazine and I also brought a copy for Kirsty because I'm a Thank good you. Star Wars buddy. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, that will be a Christmas present. Um, and yeah, it's awesome. There's a great photo spread in it um, with Adam Driver looking extremely Byronic, if I don't say so myself. Um, <laughs> and most importantly, he gives a really interesting and in-depth interview where he has lots of really cool and insightful stuff to say about Kylo. Um, I have loads of quotes here, Kirsty, so you'll have to forgive me for putting you on the spot a bit. But is there any particular quote or part of the interview that stood out to you as being particularly interesting? Well, the biggest thing probably was the way that they had editorialized it, at least in their preview, to kind of imply that Adam had dropped this huge spoiler about Ray's parentage. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, talk about that. That was great. (laughs) So this was kind of funny because I read it and I was immediately like, yeah, okay, sure. Like, this is the guy who didn't even tell his wife who he was playing in The Force Awakens until they actually watched the movie at the premiere. So (laughs) I knew that he wasn't going to drop anything huge like that, but I was intrigued as to how they'd managed to spin it that he had. Yeah. And the quote that they'd included that obviously purposely left out the bit just beforehand when he was talking about the Hidden Fortress with the princess, because they were going from him talking about Kylo having his mask and hiding who he is, and then so-and-so is a princess who's hiding her identity for her survival. And then there was this big debate in the fandom as to whether he was talking about Rey or his mother, because we know from Bloodline that Leia is hiding who her father is. And then it all comes out in this big political scandal. And then the people were discussing, well, would Adam Driver know about Bloodline? Or maybe he does if it plays into The Last Jedi. And there was all this 
debate where some people were certain that he was revealing that Rey was a princess, and then others were certain that he was talking about Leia, and it turned out it was neither of those things. He was talking about the princess from The Hidden Fortress, which makes sense because that's obviously a film that's been influential for Star Wars since A New Hope. Yeah. Um, so that was very amusing. <laughs> yeah. No, it's... It's just really funny because when the truth comes out, it becomes apparent that Adam Driver was basically describing Kylo Ren as a princess who's hiding his identity. Which is, again, that is something that we've talked about, you know, in terms of his archetype as this prince who essentially needs rescuing from the evil sorcerer who's using him for nefarious purposes. Like, mm. <laughs> it's it's all there. But it's just funny that the GQ writer must have either not cottoned onto the reference or willfully misconstrued it because he knew it would get clicks. Yeah. Like, let me actually read how it's written in the magazine because it's really quite something. Driver is on a roll now, discussing what excites him. Character and narrative and cinematic influences. The original Star Wars was an homage to Akira Kurosawa's 1958 film The Hidden Fortress, he says. And the link lives on in the new trilogy, in which concealed identities drive the narrative. Then he lets it slip. You have, also, the hidden identity of this princess who's hiding who she really is so she can survive, and Kylo Ren and her hiding behind these art- artifices. Driver says, apparently dropping a massive revelation <laughs> about Ray's royal origins. God's sake! <laughs> it's so sensationalist. It's just really stupid. This is, okay, I, I think it has to be that the author just didn't understand because I can understand them using that for clickbait, like maybe online or in the preview that we saw a couple of days before the full interview came out. But the fact that it's included in the article itself, it must be yeah. a mistake, right? Yeah. Because you don't put clickbait into an article like that. <laughs> yeah, I think he clearly misunderstood. But what bothers me is that he clearly didn't ask Adam for any clarification on that. Um. Is like, okay, if he's made this ambiguous comment and you're not sure what he means, why didn't you say, oh, which princess? Are you talking about Ray? You know, because that's clearly his assumption. Right. But he didn't actually check it. So I'm sorry, dude, but that should be part of your job to establish yeah. the facts and actually make sure you have a clear sense of what the person's saying. It's like framed as this gotcha moment. But what's even more frustrating is that earlier in the interview, Adam was talking about how he has been misquoted and misinterpreted many times. <laughs> and the the writer points out that that's just something that happens with like Star Wars because everyone's so excited about it. But yeah. this bit, when he says, with plot points guarded like state secrets, even the tiniest perceived leak sets off an online feeding frenzy. Internet scribes <laughs> grab at every quote, often misreading them. <laughs> you have to clarify truthful things you've said that people read these false things into, Driver says. It can be frustrating. Yes, Adam, I can see why. Because it happened here. Yeah, that's very funny. <laughs> it's extremely <laughs> ironic. Poor Adam. <laughs> He's like, I'm never giving an interview ever again. <laughs> yeah, it's like, because basically they do this whole like interrogation thing where the journalist asked him this series of questions that are really quite vague, but Adam is clearly so conscious of the fact he has to keep the secrets that he gives these really general answers. So... Like, I'll read out an example. Asked on whether he enjoyed acting opposite Daisy Ridley, who plays Ray. That's hard to answer. I mean, people assume that we'd spend time together. 
maybe our characters see each other in the movie? Question mark. <laughs> and that seems faintly absurd for several reasons. First of all, because there were f- very widely posted photos of Adam and Daisy arriving in Ireland together to film. <laughs> and then, even better, because there was another interview with Adam and Daisy, which we'll talk about in a moment, um, where they were talking about how much t- fun they had together on set and how they spent all this time together. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, I think it's clear that the two interviews were conducted at different times. So they were obviously given permission to talk about spending time together, like on the film, for the interview where they're talking with each other. Because, yeah, it marks a big shift, basically. He was clearly m- more open than the other one. Yeah, for sure. Like, at this point, it honestly seems like he's not able to say anything. Aside from, oh yeah, you, I'm unmasked in some parts because you already saw the trailer, so. <laughs> yeah, it's got to be so difficult for them to dance around this stuff. Exactly. It's funny, I, I get the impression the journalist is really trying to um, like sensationalise things a lot and like inject like the most like controversial subjects and the things that would get people talking. Because um, he just throws in this bit of editorial where he says... Um, on this particular mid-September day, the internet is abuzz with new speculation that Ridley's character, Ray, is the daughter of Princess Leia, also Kylo Ren's mother. This theory would take any romantic tension between her and drivers Kylo Ren into the realm of incest. But yes, yes it would, but doesn't that tell you something? <laughs> and I just don't understand why that's there. Did he ask Adam about this? Did he say, oh yeah, people are talking about romantic tension, but how does that work if there's also people talking about you maybe being her brother? <laughs> like, well, what? he definitely talked to him about at least Luke and Leia's incest, because yes. Adam answers, yes. Yes, my uncle and my mum made out, which Mark still <laughs> talks about. He's like, Luke kissed his sister. How could he do that? I guess he hasn't seen Game of Thrones, you know? <laughs> so it's unclear whether he brought up the romantic tension between Ray and Kylo to Adam. Because yes. that's just not commented on here. And I'm, I'm asked, I, I would assume that even if he did, Adam would just carefully evade that question. Yes. It's far safer to talk about Luke and Leia and point out how absurd that was. But in doing yeah. so, that, he is kind of giving you an answer. Because I know a, a lot of weird theories came out that they were going to kind of reference Luke and Leia's kiss and that between Ray and Kylo, even if they were related. But mm. uh, they would never do that in a million years. That's just not going to be something you see. No, that's not one of the finest hours of the original trilogy, to be honest. Yes, I think they're laughing about it. Yeah. That Mark is still making jokes about that 40 years later because it's so bad. (laughs) Exactly. Um, Yeah, they're not going to fall into that trap again. But the thing is, I know you're right that he goes through this like almost buzzword round of like trying to trap Adam into saying something revealing but the most interesting parts are just when he's talking about Kylo mm. and why he, he was attracted to the role in the first place what JJ did with him and how Ryan is going to continue that because none yeah. of this is spoilery but it's the actual interesting meat that people just somehow overlook yeah um, and I think that is down to the editorializing of the article but it means that a lot of fans might just kind of brush past all this stuff that he's talking about with regards to Kylo and his arc? Yeah, no, because one of my favourite quotes in the whole thing um, is where he says this. I remember the initial conversations about having things skinned, Driver recalls. 
peeling away layers to evolve into other people. And the person Kylo's pretending to be on the outside is not who he is. He's a vulnerable kid who doesn't know where to put his energy, but when he puts his mask on, suddenly he's playing a role. JJ had that idea initially, and I think Ryan took it to the next level. And that's such an interesting quote, you know? There's Mm -hmm. so much in that, and it's so evocative. And it's sad that that's treated like an afterthought, like at the... Like, whereas all this nonsense about, like, Ray being a princess is treated like the centerpiece of the interview. Because it's like, no, that's not actually a scoop. That's him talking about this Japanese film from 1958. It's like, go away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah, I just need to say it because um, I was at this lecture on dragons, don't ask. <laughs> and they were talking about, um, like, fairy tales and dragon myths from different places. And they talked about this Swedish fairy tale called Prince Lindwam. Mm-hmm. And that is a story where a prince is born to a queen, but the prince is born a dragon, basically. And he grows up, and this dragon prince decides that he wants a human bride. And they have trouble getting a bride to agree to marry him, for obvious reasons. But in the end, they find a girl. And she goes prepared with seven layers of underthings for the wedding night. And then on the wedding night, the bride and the prince, they take turns to peel off their layers one by one. And so as the bride takes off a shift, the dragon prince, he literally sheds a skin like a snake. And then when the seventh skin comes off, lo and behold, he's a handsome, shining prince. And it just kind of reminded me of this quote, because... It goes back to the sequel trilogy drawing upon these mythic archetypes and these fairy tale tropes. Because while that's in the fairy tale, it's quite a basic story and it's not like they go into the psychology of these characters, that kind of theme of layers being peeled back and things being revealed, like by layer after layer being removed, that is being explored here and that appeals to both this ancient fairy tale sensibility and also this more modern desire to dig into the psychologies of the characters and really understand how they tick and get beneath the surface of them and Mm -hmm. yeah I I just love that yeah I absolutely think that that is the general theme of the story um and we've talked before about all of the different animal bridegroom families of fairy tales um that can be incorporated and they've drawn influences from however consciously um, and Nat, who we've had on the show before, wrote an entire meta about this with lots yeah. of examples. And I think she did include Prince Lindworm. Um, so, yeah, like that's, these, these are the kind of quotes that you have to pay attention to. And that he he and Ryan and JJ have been talking about for a long time. That's the thing. It's not it's not new. It's not like sensationalized in that clickbaity way. But it gives you insight into what they're doing with Kylo's character and by extension, what his dynamic with Ray is going to be. Yeah. Um, that those layers are being uncovered. And you can see that in the way he unmasks in The Force Awakens and is instantly humanized, um, the way that they're changing his costume subtly from seven to eight. Yeah. The way that he's conveying more emotion in the trailer. So, yeah, it's all part of the same thing. Yeah. And there's also some really cool stuff in here about Kylo Ren as this like, almost adolescent figure. So I'll just quickly read out stuff about that. In The Last Jedi, director Ryan Johnson saw Driver go light years beyond his own experience. Ah, <laughs> light years. <I> <laughs> 
Adam is always pushing the context of the character, Johnson says. He's put in this unhealthy environment and goes through the worst of youth, the selfishness and volatility. He's representing that side of adolescence. Of course, these days, immaturity and insecurity are no strangers to power. It makes complete sense how juvenile he can be, Driver says of Wren, who prefers lightsabers over Twitter for his tantrums. You can see that with our leadership and politics. You have world leaders who you imagine, or hope, or pray, are living by kind of a higher code of ethics, but it really all comes down to them feeling wronged or unloved or wanting validation. And then, even more topical and even more touchy was the decision to play Kylo Ren like a radicalised extremist. We talked about terrorism a lot, Driver says of his early conversations with Abrams and Johnson about his character. You have young and deeply committed people with one si- with a one-sided education who think in absolutes. That is more dangerous than being evil. Kylo thinks that what he's doing is entirely right, and that, in my mind, is the scariest part. And yeah, like none of this is really new. We've heard this stuff talked about before, particularly stuff about Kylo Ren as this like radicalized young man, but. I really like hearing these kinds of comments because, again, I, it just reminds me of how much depth of thought has gone into this character in particular mm-hmm. and how much attention has been paid to his development and what he represents and what he symbolizes. And I just love that. Yeah, I'm so excited because this is the power of Star Wars for me, that they can take these fairy tales that are thousands of years old, really, and modernize them to make them relevant to today's political climate. Mm. Because that's the beauty of those kinds of stories. They can be told in endless incarnations, and they are always relevant to the ideas of what it means to be human, what it means to be evil or good. And this idea, yeah, it does play into what we see going on around us, that you have young people who aren't innately evil, but can be manipulated by someone like Snoke, um and used for their power and he's mm. he's been taken away from the family who loved him and yeah. want him back and still want him back i think that's yeah. just so powerful and i just can't wait to see how the rest of the story plays out exactly it's really really promising i think and it just suggests such a rich landscape like a psychological landscape for this character and I love that Ryan is so excited about him. That goes beyond this interview, but Ryan is interviewed about Adam a bit here. Um, and yeah, I just love that Ryan is building on what JJ did in, in such an interesting way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know there was all this talk a while back about how well the, the directors weren't really working together and he could do whatever he wanted, but it's very clear that Ryan was paying close attention to what JJ was doing with the characters and the story in The Force Awakens and building on that. He wasn't going to yeah. just take it off. He takes it off in this unexpected direction. I think if you're going with a surface level reading of The Force Awakens, if you're mm. talking about, well, Kylo Ren is evil and did bad things, so that's it. But that's obviously not going to be the case for the rest of the story because things have to be developed. Yeah. So exactly. I think it's, it's all really going to cool. fit together very well. Yeah. Is there anything else you'd like to discuss from this interview? Um... I don't think so. Let me have a look, quick look through. Okay, sure. I, I did like his comments about Carrie, because I, I know it must be difficult for them to talk about it. Yeah. Um, because especially with the, the newer sequel trilogy actors, while I'm sure they all got on very well with Carrie and 
it was great to work with her and everything. They don't have the same kind of perspective as someone like Mark Hamill or Harrison Ford. Yeah, sure. So I think it's great that they can kind of share these anecdotes of what it was like working with her on set. But you can kind of tell when people like John Boyega and Adam Driver talk about her that they're, they're just not sure what to say. Yeah, of course. Like, it's hard because there's a complete generational divide there as well as just the lack of experience with Carrie as a person. And I think it's nice that Adam doesn't indulge in any bullshit, basically. It's clear that he's sincere about it being really sad and tragic that she died. But it's like, what can I say to you, man? Yeah, (laughs) especially... That's literally his response. Yeah, I think sometimes you also have to just remember that they're talking to people that they don't know as well, and it's for work. So they're not going to go overly personal. If there, if there is a relationship that they really develop there, it's not always going to be something they feel comfortable sharing. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, he, he says, like, oh, it's hard to talk about it without saying generic things. And I think that is a very relatable thing, actually, when people come to talking about losing people and yeah. the, the process of grief, because it's yeah. essentially it's a very private experience. We're not always going to be privy to it, so... Exactly. It does always sound so lame, doesn't it? When you just say, um, oh, I'm so sorry for your loss or something like that. You know, that feels so inadequate because mm-hmm. it's so much greater than that, you know, but it's kind of the situation where it's beyond words, like a person's died. How do you express that? So, yeah, I think we can all relate to that. And just on a positive note on that, I love the advice that Carrie gave Adam at Comic-Con. Apparently, she said to him, just pretend you're down to earth. People love that shit. <laughs> I really like <laughs> that because that's so true. People really do love that. And it's not always easy if you're not a particularly down to earth person and you're not really interested in being a down to earth person. <laughs> yeah, I think this gets to the heart of like kind of what we've been saying that when they give these interviews or when they're interacting with fans, it's it's work, mm. you know? So you might see a glimpse of the real person, but also it's a persona that they have to develop in order to just deal with being famous because it must be a head fuck. Yeah. You know, I I wouldn't want to live my life that way. No, exactly. So, yeah, they do have to, like, separate the the anecdotes that they feel comfortable sharing in this public sphere to what they might talk about with their friends because it's totally different. Yeah. Like the Adam Driver who's been interviewed there... He's not really the real Adam Driver to a certain extent. I know that sounds very strange, but I mean that the Adam Driver he puts on for interviews like that, that is in itself a performance because it has to be. Otherwise, you just go mad. You can't be completely open and completely yourself when you're doing PR for a movie. It's just impossible. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Then the next thing to go into is... um. <laughs> that there has been an interview with Daisy Ridley in V Magazine. Um, And the most striking thing about this is that the interview was conducted by Adam Driver. Um, And it has the delightful title of Driving Miss Daisy, which you only recently figured out the pun going on with that, didn't you, Kirsty? (laughs) I didn't didn't even notice the title at first, because I was so surprised we hadn't had any inkling that this was coming. Yes. And it was just weird because we've never really seen these two promoted together that much so i was just like oh driving miss daisy i get it (laughs) yeah exactly it's a really long interview and it's really fun and lovely and entertaining and they have a really nice report going on and it's not really that illuminating with regards to the last jedi it's more about them both as people and just their attitudes to things and 
like how they find found being on set, that sort of thing. So I'll just quickly read out a quote from the interview and then we can just talk about it more generally. Um, right, so Adam says, Is there an aspect of working on Star Wars? It could be anything from the lightsaber battles, the travel, the catering, to getting to see me every day and do my hair. That was your favourite part. Daisy. I don't know if I've ever properly thought about it. I love coming into the makeup trailer. Everyone is there, you say good morning, and you get a little cuddle from people. I like the structure of that, of really being part of something for the duration of the day. The second Star Wars, it's so weird, because in my mind they're very separated. I just felt so distant. My head was so effed after the first one came out. <laughs> it was strange getting back into it, and it felt familiar and comforting. It suddenly felt really seen in a way after the first Star Wars, which was so weird. Then, back at work, you're just you and it's not a big deal. You're just at work. You're doing your job and everyone else is doing their job. It's just me being me. I just really liked being part of something where you're one of a whole. When filming, you're always part of a thing. Becoming besties with you was the best thing. <laughs> um, so yeah, this interview was a shock, to put it mildly. As mm-hmm. Kirsty said, we were not expecting this. So yeah, what are your thoughts about it, just generally, Kirsty? Well, I just thought, thought it was so interesting that we had this because we've talked before about how it was noticeable in the Force Awakens marketing. If you look at the film, Daisy and Adam share very important scenes together, but it wasn't really alluded to at all. Yeah. I think like the one time you even got any sense of that was in the international trailer where you have that one shot of Kylo brandishing the saber and Takodana. Yeah. Um, so this is a conscious contrast from that. And mm. I think it's super interesting. They're really pushing the idea of Adam and Daisy getting closer on set when they were actually making a point earlier in the year about how Adam refused to get lunch with Mark Hamill because their characters mm. had a this beef of each other basically yeah and mark respected it and it was all good um and i honestly i don't know how accurate that stuff is or not accurate that's not the right word but it's it's a conscious shift in the marketing because they are telling you that these actors spent enough time together in character for that to develop their relationship as well yeah so i mean with the force awakens the marketing pairings they were really pushing mostly it was daisy and john mm-hmm. but we know from the marketing for the last jedi that those characters are going to be apart for most of the film yes so, the implication here is that she spent less time with john and more time with adam yeah no it's super super interesting and like you say it marks a really interesting evolution in the pr and particularly the pr around this dynamic which is fascinating. Um, and yeah, just it was so surreal reading Daisy refer to her and Adam as besties. I was like, I was, what? Yeah, that's really <laughs> laying it on thick. Yeah, like that's, it really that's, is. I was a bit eye-rolly with the whole, with them pushing the whole peanuts thing with <laughs> John and Daisy. Yes. And and I'm the same with this stuff, honestly. I think it's it's very cute. That's the word that I'm not so much about the cuteness. Yeah. So I get a bit like, oh, it's so sugary sweet I could puke. <laughs> I could, it's like rainbow vomit. Yeah, it's like, we're besties. Like, okay. <laughs> You've clearly been told you're allowed to say this stuff. Yeah. The cynic in me rebels. <laughs> yeah, no, it is... Um... 
it does reek of PR. Like I, I, I absolutely do think they got on on set and that they had opportunity, opportunities to become closer and they spent lots of time together and they got on well. I don't have any reason to believe that any of that would be wrong. But like you say, it's just so deliberate and so calculated that they're doing this. <laughs> it's like, it reminds me almost of like old Hollywood. It's kind of like such a um, contrived thing, especially as you say, in terms of how it forms a contrast to those earlier comments about Adam being a complete loner, Adam not wanting to spend time with anyone, Adam refusing to go to lunch with Mark. You oh, yeah, know. and not letting John Boyega hug him. Or at least yeah. letting him hug him, but just like standing there awkwardly. Exactly. It really makes it seem like they're going for this narrative where, well, Adam, he's kind of like a method actor. And because as part of that, he kept his distance from everyone in the cast, apart from Daisy, because they're such besties. <laughs> and he let her do his hair. <laughs> you know? It's like, yeah. It's oh very over the top, but obviously it's part of Disney's marketing strategy. Yeah. I think, I think it's I think very much do. a charm offensive, to be honest. Mm. It's like, look at them. Look how well they got on. How can you hate these two? You know? It's mm-hmm. like... Yeah, and I think, honestly, if we're getting this this early in the marketing game, I, we should expect more of it, which I wasn't mm. sure of, honestly. I thought that Daisy would mostly be doing interviews with Mark. Yeah. And that Same. might be true. Maybe she'll be kind of split between the two of them. Yeah. I'd love it, really, like, to see them on the press junkets together and to see them on talk shows together. Like, so they do have a really nice rapport here, and it's lovely seeing the back and forth between them. Yeah, I mean, it's very fluffy. They don't talk about their characters in relation to each other or anything. Yeah, exactly. It's not like there's much narrative substance here, which is fine. Um, It's still a fun interview in its own right. It just means that there's not much we can glean from this in terms of character development or what will actually happen in the movie. Mm-hmm. Just beyond the fact that they really, really want us to know that Daisy and Adam got along swell and that they're friends. So, <laughs> yeah, read into that what you will. Mm-hmm. Right, then the next thing to discuss is that John Boyega has been interviewed. Everyone has been interviewed, basically. <laughs> <laughs> that is the lesson from this week. Um, and yeah, so he's been interviewed by Yahoo Japan and Digital Spy. And for the Yahoo Japan interview, I'd like to say thank you to Shy405 on Tumblr for translating the Japanese into English. And yeah, this is the comment from John. He says, The heroes and villains had always been clearly divided, but Ryan made that boundary ambiguous, because we cannot always be on the side of the good people in a war. Every character in The Last Jedi will have to make a decision about their own position, about where they should be. I really like the challenge Ryan took. Um, and yeah, so what did you make of that comment from John Kirsty? I thought it was cool because we've had a lot of this from other actors so far and we've had it from Ryan himself, but I think this mm-hmm. is the first time that John Boyega's talked about it. Yes. Or at least he's talked about Finn's arc in terms of when he wakes up, he's not sure still if he wants to be part of the Resistance, but this is in a more general sense about the themes of the movie as a whole and how, like he says, every character is going to be examining where they belong. Yeah. Um, and I just love that as a theme for the story. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think for me, maybe my main extrapolation based on this is that I think we're probably going to see the Resistance do really bad stuff in the movie as well as the First Order. I think so too. I think people have to prepare themselves for this kind of moral relativism, which I yeah. know a lot of Star Wars fans aren't down for. Yeah. 
But uh, this is Star Wars for a contemporary political climate. And yeah, I, and they just have to take it to new spaces and explore new ideas. Exactly. So I, I understand why that would make some people uncomfortable. And I think that this film is going to end up being quite divisive, but it mm. almost has to be. Yeah. I think all Grace art is divisive. So if it's divisive and sparks a conversation, it's succeeding in some way. So yeah, I'm really excited for it. Um, and then the next quotes from John are from Digital Spy in the UK, who we did an interview with. Um, would you like to read these parts of the Digital Spy interview, Kirsty? So my throat's getting a little bit raw. Oh, sure, yeah. Thanks. So the interviewer says, So we were introduced to Finn and Rey in The Force Awakens. What can audiences expect in The Last Jedi? Is romance on the cards? John, everything is being shifted in the opposite way to what the audience expected after Star Wars Episode Seven. What's happening with Rey and Finn? They're separate in this film. It's like two separate stories. Rey is off doing her lightsaber stuff in the mountains somewhere, and Finn is on a new adventure. In that sense, maybe they're in a long-distance relationship right now? <laughs> the upcoming movie is called The Last Jedi. Would you like to be a Jedi? Would I like to be a Jedi? I think it would be more interesting if they had more than one person be a Jedi, but I think that is one of the unspoken laws of Star Wars. They only have one who has to go away and train. However, I hope it takes an interesting turn, not in terms of being a Jedi, but there are loads more stronger characters in the Star Wars universe that can go up against Jedis, and they don't necessarily have to be a Jedi. I would like to explore that more, the whole Boba Fett vibe. I would like to explore that for Finn, but who knows? <laughs> so it's kind of funny that both of these answers end with a question that yeah. he's always like backtracking, like, but who knows? You just have to wait and see. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> John is so expert at this kind of thing. Oh, I love him. Yeah. I think he loves playing games. Yeah. Basically. And like you say, he loves providing questions more than answers. Well, I which think I think is really that, cool. These these questions he's been asked several times before as well. So it, yeah. I almost feel like each time he has to think that he's got to put a new spin on it so that the journalist has something new to offer but also that he's not saying much more than we already know or what we can reasonably infer from The Force Awakens. Yeah. Because uh, I know that people had like this theory that Finn was going to be a Jedi after The Force Awakens, but honestly, I never thought that it presented that as an option. Yeah. It was like kind of clear that Rey was going to be the one who did that and Finn's story would be with the Resistance in the First Order, and that looks to be what we're getting. Yeah. And and yeah, that it was going to be clear that Rey and Finn would be separated for most of eight. They might re reunite. I know we've had... Um, pictures of Daisy and John on set together and there was stuff in the first behind the scenes footage I think we got from D23 that suggested mm. they were both together on crate but none of it's confirmed right now yeah. so yeah well that's just kind of up in the air too that they are on these separate strands of the story they're the, the two protagonists who kind of take up the roles in, in the various strands of the plot yeah no they're really interesting comments and I think the questions themselves say a lot about how the story is being perceived. So I think people are really hung up on the status quo as of The Force Awakens. And I think what the actors are really trying to do in their answers is they're trying to prepare people for how much everything's going to change. And I think that's the main thrust behind virtually all the interviews we're seeing, to be honest. It's like, look, I know you saw one thing in The Force Awakens and I know you had certain expectations for things from that and that you're in a certain headspace based on The Force Awakens. 
but you need to be prepared for things to be really different now because the story's going in all these new places and it's going to be exciting and different. And I love that because expect the unexpected is really thrilling to me. Yeah, I mean, you can almost tell that from the way the questions are quite leading in themselves. Like Mm -hmm. asking about Finn and Rey as a potential romance and then asking him about Finn as a Jedi. It's kind of clear that the journalists themselves had these preconceived notions of what the story might be after The Force Awakens. Yeah. No, so I remember um, back in 2016, I think um, John was at one of the film festivals and there was an interview of Variety. And at the time, I think he was asked a question that was literally worded along the lines of, I really loved the developing romance between Finn and Rey in The Force Awakens. Where will we, we see that be taken in episode eight? Something along those lines. And yeah, like, again, that's a total leading question. And it's so very much informed by that journalist's personal perception of the film. And yeah, but back then, he was given the same kind of answer in that it's going to be different from what you think. So yeah, expect the unexpected. Yeah, I think, I guess this kind of like, in that sense, maybe they're in a long distance relationship right now. It kind of goes with this theory that if Ray and Finn are separated in episode eight and Ryan Johnson said, oh, there's not going to be the same kind of romance that you saw in either the original trilogy or the prequels where you have like the romance as the central focus of the second movie, that it kind of leaves the door open for Finn and Ray to become a romantic couple in nine. Mm. But again, it's like maybe he's just being diplomatic and it's like kind of just wait for the movie and see what happens. Yeah. Exactly. With these kinds of things, I think, like you say, there's a certain element of frustration from John at being asked the same old things over and over again. And so he's just finding ways to make it more lively and entertaining for himself. Yeah, I mean, this thing of him mentioning Boba Fett, I've never heard him mention Boba Fett before. I could be wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't recall him saying that. And I was trying to work out, like, is he talking about Boba Fett in terms of like a parallel for Finn or is he talking about him as a parallel for Phasma with the whole masked mysterious thing I I think he I interpreted it as him just meaning that Boba Fett is this really cool iconic famous Star Wars character who is not a Jedi so that there are worthwhile interesting and iconic Star Wars characters beyond the Jedi characters Mm. so it's like you don't need to be a Jedi in order to be a really cool character. There are lots of different models for cool standout characters in these films. Yeah, I've got to say, who have lightsabers. Boba Fett's an interesting example to use. I would expect him to use someone more like Han. Uh, <laughs> I, I get the impression John's like a bit of a fanboy. I think he's been a um, Star Wars fan since he was a kid. So may- who knows? Maybe Boba Fett is like one of his favorite characters or something. Oh man. <laughs> I, I've got higher hopes for Finn than to be a Boba Fett figure. <laughs> I think John would love it, to be honest. <laughs> right, then the next thing to talk about is that there's been an international poster for The Last Jedi. And I think alongside this, we can talk about the Japanese press release that came out alongside this poster, which is from the official Stars website in Japan. Um, so we'll just talk briefly about the poster and then we'll read out the write-up and discuss that too. Um, So yeah, the poster from Japan is broadly similar to the main American poster, but 
it has Ray in Luke's position and Luke in Ray's position. And people have been getting very excited because Luke is holding a lightsaber. Yes, he is holding a lightsaber. Um, so that has been extremely thrilling for people I know. <laughs> because, like, and it's completely fair enough, but I know loads of people are really excited to see Luke with a lightsaber again. And that's completely cool. It's not something that matters to me so much, personally, because it's not what I'm here for. Mm. But for those people, I'm glad they got this. So, yeah, did, did you like this poster, Kirsty? Um, I didn't dislike it. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if I prefer it to the the regular poster that we had just a few weeks earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think it's funny that Luke's holding a lightsaber. Though obviously, they're going for an interesting parallel between Luke and Kylo, I suppose. Um, yes. And making it very clear that Rey is supposed to be the main character. Yeah. It reminds me of the um, teaser poster in many ways, in that you have... Luke and Kylo on the same level. Yeah, it's almost the reversed, case in the teaser. Yeah. And like you say, I like that Ray is front and center, as she should be. Um to me it indicates that they're marketing the movie to a Japanese audience more on the strength of the young characters as well. Because for the North American poster it's all Luke, Luke is huge, Luke is looming in the background, this vast overarching presence. Whereas here, it's Ray is the big, big face that you're forced to pay attention to. Mm. And I think that's really cool. Yeah, I I think that makes sense because it's, Star Wars is not the same in Asia in terms of like having this huge cultural history of like loving Luke Skywalker. Mm. Um, so it makes sense to push the new characters. Totally, yeah. And I like that um, Chewie has a pork on his shoulder. Yeah, that's cute. Yeah, it's adorable. <laughs> Japan clearly loves tiny, adorable, fluffy animals. So. <laughs> I love Japan. What's not uh, to love about the porgs? Exactly. How could anyone possibly hate them? You'd have to be some kind of like heartless monster. <laughs> <laughs> um, right. Okay, then we get on to the write-up that I just mentioned that is on the Japanese Stars website. And many thanks to Sakura121 on Tumblr for the translation of this. And this goes, the light, the darkness, Ray and Kylo, two people who seem to move between the two. A new shocking development is hinted to await them in Star Wars: The Last Jedi. Although the world was shocked to see that the hand offered to Ray belonged to Kylo Ren, what awaits Ray and Kylo is the question of the light or the darkness, as together they are tossed and moved by the powerful force. Ray who, even though in the previous film The Force Awakens awakened the Force, carries a sense of being lost and unsure. Will she be taken away by the darkness? Kylo, who killed Han Solo, despite the fact that he was his real father, will the hopeful small amount of light that still remains in his heart be able to undo the darkness? These two figures who seem to resonate with each other, we cannot take our eyes off of them. (laughs) Oh, sorry, I shouldn't be laughing um it's just obviously this is in translation so it's always going to sound weird because whenever anything's been translated it's always hard to perfectly reflect the color of the original because there's also all these cultural differences and all these nuances in the language that are extremely difficult to convey but yeah it just seems so hyperbolic compared to the kind of marketing language we get in the u.s um, yeah, what do you make of this, Kirsty? 
it is hyperbolic, but I feel like it reflects the trailer pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, which we haven't had the like American or English equivalent of, right? There hasn't been a yeah. press release that actually ties in with the trailer that we got, as far as I'm aware. Yeah. So all of the press release stuff that we've had beforehand was all about like Ray continues her adventures with Luke Skywalker and Finn. It, and yeah. That like tells you nothing. Um, it's just what people would assume would be the case after The Force Awakens. But this is like in response to the trailer that we've had. So yes, the big thing was the ending where Kylo Ren was holding his hand out to Rey and this idea of the light and the dark and where these characters fit and how they're yeah. going to impact each other. So yeah, it's Raylotastic, but so was the trailer. <laughs> it's kind of hard to discuss this stuff without sounding a bit smug, to be honest, sometimes. Because... <laughs> um, yeah, like you say, this is total Raylo fan fiction almost, but it's legitimate and on an official website. I think it's interesting that this is coming from Japan. Um, like as we were talking about in terms of the poster, it's worth drawing attention to the fact that in Japan the attention does seem to be more on the younger generation of characters, and. If you're to believe this, they're particularly hyping up Rain Kylo, and there's also been other stuff suggesting this too because. They have trains in Japan with Star Wars livery all over them. And they literally have a train door and Rey and Kylo are on either side of the train door. Mm. <laughs> like, I could not make it up. It's a literal railo train. It's absurd. Um, but in a great way. Um, and, yeah, so it seems that they are marketing the hell out of the connection between Rey and Kylo in Japan. Which is presumably why they're being more open about discussing it in these um, excitable times, shall mm-hmm. I say. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's really cool, and I like that it's really digging deep into the characters and the choices that will be like before them. So the fact that Kylo still has this hopefulness in him and this spark of light, and the fact that Rey is lost and unsure and she doesn't know where she's going to go and will she be taken away by darkness and these are all really exciting interesting questions to me so yeah it's great to see them being asked exactly it's just kind of posing the questions that we've all been talking about for a while and then that the trailer presented as well like this these are the central themes and questions they're not answered but they're there to kind of intrigue you and make you go and watch the movie exactly yeah so i think this is a great marketing tactic and it'll be interesting to see if this sort of thing does gradually filter through more into the American press, like in terms of how the movie is being written about and how the plot is being discussed. Because it's not like this is completely new information, because as you say, this is coming from the trailer pretty much. But it's just that the Japanese website is making a big deal of it in a way that the US website is not. Yeah, I do think that these questions are going to be asked more to the actors on the interview mm. circuit now. Like yes. in light of the trailer, which I was not expecting. I didn't think they were going to lay it all out there as those are the questions of the movie. Um, but they have now. So I fully expect people to ask Daisy Ridley, oh, is Ray going to go to the dark side? Or, oh, is she going to take his hand? Like, is, is that really what he's offering her there? Or Like, these are going to yeah. be the things people want to know about. So Exactly. Which is cool. So it's way more interesting questions than, so how's the training going to go with Luke? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. I'm excited about this. Um, Right, the next thing to talk about is that Daisy Ridley also gave an interview to Yahoo Japan, so along the same lines as John earlier on, 
And this is from Slimo on Tumblr, who I believe translated this with the help of an Anon user on her blog. So thank you to both. Um, and yeah, these are the comments. In the latest trailer, there is a shocking scene that Kylo Ren will reach out to Rey, who thinks, how can I do? How does Daisy herself interpret the relationship between the two? The point that I want you to pay attention to is that the last Jedi sends a message that things are not so clearly black and white. The boundary between good and evil becomes increasingly vague, and the relationship between Rey and Kylo is symbolic of that. In fact, Kylo believes that his actions are correct. And what about Rey? Does she make the right decision? Through the multifaceted nature of these characters, you can see it. The truth that has not been seen until now emerges. Ryan Johnson's ideas are wonderful. And then she was also asked about the whole question of Ray's parentage, and she said, I hope everyone will enjoy the moment, whatever the answer is. I've known the answer for a few years, but the story produced by Ryan Johnson was so inspiring and honest. I'm very impressed. I'm sure everyone will be moved by the moment. So yeah, did you like these comments, Kirsty? Yeah, I mean, I think it's very similar to what John was saying to Yahoo Japan as well, but she's just kind of focusing on Ray and Kylo's relationship. Which mm-hmm. in itself can be probably generalized again to the other characters and like the major themes of the story, right? Yeah. Um, what it means to have that kind of boundary blur between good and evil, um, whether characters really are evil and good and how their actions define them. Um, yeah. And posing the questions like, what is Ray going to do? Is she going to make the right decision? Because she has to have some kind of challenge and choice. Um. So yeah, all of that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And we've, I think Daisy said before that she knew who Ray's parents were from The Force Awakens. Like yeah, she knew she that has. as she was filming and it hasn't changed. Um, so again, that's something I think a lot of people were debating whether Ryan Johnson would somehow change the story because he was given creative control. But I don't think it's going to, probably little things will change in terms of how they actually execute it. That was mm. up to him. Um, but I don't think the actual who is going to be something that he's just like deciding to change on a whim. Yeah, no, definitely. I think that's the kind of thing where it's too informative to how Daisy chooses to perform the role for them to just completely switch out. It would be like Sunny saying, oh no, Kylo, you're not the son of Hannah Leia, you're the son of Luke and Mara Jade. Or <laughs> Obviously not quite to that extreme because... Ray's relationship with her parents is not a present issue in these movies as Kylo's relationship with his parents is because Ray's parents are very much in the past and I might be wrong but my expectation is that we are not going to see them except in flashback if that so it's very different in those terms but it is still important to know I think and I think Daisy had a right to know like back at the time of The Force Awakens because if, if they were going to reveal her, say, to be the secret daughter of Han and Leia, she kind of needs to know that. Yeah, it has to inform the way they interact. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's kind of the point that we've been making. Like, there's there's not much in The Force Awakens to suggest that she does have this familial bond with Kylo, Han, or Leia. Yeah. Um, I know a lot of people were still thinking that it's still up for debate as to whether she's Luke's daughter. But again, it sounds like that's something that they're going to answer conclusively. Yeah. No, I really, really like these interview comments. And in particular, I find 
the fact that Daisy says the relationship between Ray and Kylo is symbolic of the boundary between good and evil becoming increasingly vague. I really like that comment because in the past, like Ryan has talked about Ray and Kylo as like co-protagonists and as about these almost parallel figures who like have lots of things in common, like even as there's things that separate them and make them different. Um, but with the older comments, I think it's possible to read those as him just meaning they're very much in their own spheres, but they're still equally important and they're just more like parallel characters than characters who actually interact and have a relationship that's central. But I think what Daisy is implying here is that the relationship, the interplay between the characters, that in itself is going to be at the heart of the story. So it's not just that they are on these separate railroads going off doing their own thing and paralleling each other from a distance, is that we're going to see them interact and that through those interactions we're going to really get to the core of the central themes of this movie and all that ambiguity and uncertainty that everyone's been talking about so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Like through their interactions, they are going to develop. So again, it comes back to this idea of Kylo as Ray's animus, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that they, he's not just like this dark side element in her psyche that they influence each other and it is mm. symbiotic like that. Um, again, like that's something that you can pick up on in The Force Awakens, but at that point it was maybe you can consider it subtext. Um, but yeah. this is pushing it front and centre. Exactly. So yeah, it's very interesting. Um, and yeah, then we just have a very quick interview comment from Mark Hamill about The Last Jedi. It's literally cropped up just before we started recording, so... It's very much just been shoved in here. Um, was this from Disney Rewards, Kirsty? Yes. Yeah. Cool. That's so good we saw it. We saw it um, on Tumblr from Slimo, who mm-hmm. is a, a great source of news for me because she's always on the ball. <laughs> yeah. She's always got things as they're coming out. She's fantastic. Um, but I think I, I tried to click through, and you can only access it if if you're actually like part of that program. I think so. That's why it was so valuable for us to get it. Yeah, so exactly. So thank you, Slimo. <laughs> um, yeah, so just the thing I picked out, and please let me know if there's anything else from this interview that you want to talk about, Kirsty. But the thing that stood out to me the most was this one question. Luke has been described as dark in this film. Would you agree, Mark? In Star Wars The Force Awakens, Luke has lost confidence in his ability to make good choices. Do you think they mean The Last Jedi? I think so, but I suppose... If you're thinking about how Luke looks at the end of The Force Awakens and it's going to be the same timeline, basically, it kind of all fits together, I suppose. Yeah, it's true. I guess it's just being pedantic. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It haunts him to the core, but he hasn't gone to the dark side. This isn't an evil version of him, but it's still an incarnation of the character I never expected. It has pulled me out of my comfort zone. It's a real challenge. Um, Yeah, so... I really like this, mainly because it puts to bed the fact that we're going to get evil Luke, because that has been such a popular theory, and it's so good to see that be put down, because it's like, look, the whole point is that things are not black and white. Exactly. It's not going to be a question of someone becoming this, like, evil, like, mastermind who's, like, puppeteering Snoke and doing all the evil stuff. Like, that is not going to be Luke. It's about complicating things and blurring lines and you don't do that by just making Luke be flat out bad 
that would just be such a pantomime to make Luke just straight up evil. Like, as you say, the whole point of this trilogy is to explore that maybe people aren't innately good and evil. It's mm. that our actions are what define us. Yeah. Like, yeah. He's not going to be evil Luke. He's not going to be dark side Luke. He's just haunted by the past and that has had an impact on him. So yeah. as you can see from the trailer, he's he's shaken up. Like, he's not sure of where he stands in terms of the Force now. He's not sure he wants to train Rey. He's not sure of what her power means because he's seen it before with Kylo and look what happened there. So I, I think it's super interesting what they're doing with Luke. It's far more interesting than if they were just making him a Sith Lord or something stupid like that. <laughs> exactly. It's like, no, just those theories, man. I just can't. I just can't with them. Um, <laughs> but yeah. I love this and I really like that Mark was challenged by it because I tend to find you get the best results when you challenge people and you push them a bit. Obviously not to an unreasonable degree, but uh, like it's nice to do things that are surprising and are unexpected. I feel like I'm saying those words so much, but it's just true. Um, mm. And yeah, I think my favourite part here, the part that intrigues me the most, is Luke has lost confidence in his ability to make good choices. Like, I, I love that whole concept. I'm really looking forward to finding out what his bad choices were. So obviously we know things went wrong with Ben Solo, but there will have been specific things that went wrong. Mm-hmm. Like, and I'm sure it was like a cumulative thing to a certain extent, but there must have been these watershed moments where Luke had to make one decision or another about Ben, and he made a decision about him, and that turned out to be a terrible decision with awful ramifications. And yeah, I'm really looking forward to getting light shed on that. Yeah, and you kind of got hints of that from Leia's dialogue in The Force Awakens. Like, I shouldn't have sent him away. That's when I lost him and I lost mm. you. Like, it's these older characters expressing regret because they're not infallible. They made these choices probably with the best of intentions. Um, but that's where the conflict has come from, that even if you love your child or nephew very much and want the best for them... If you have someone like Snoke in the background trying to manipulate things, guess what? Something bad is going to happen. Yeah. Um, I thought this other question was really interesting. They ask, has Luke's character changed over the years? And Mark said, actually, I don't think that Luke's fundamental personality has changed, except that he's older and his life experiences have shaped his outlook the same way they do for all of us. Mm-hmm. And I really love that because I feel like Luke is going to be very relatable in this story. Yeah. Um, and it is a generational story. So, yes, we have Ray, Kylo, and Finn as the primary focus. But these older characters who've experienced life and its difficulties and have perhaps become bitter and jaded and unsure of themselves, I think that is very relatable and powerful. Yeah, exactly. And I think there's so much more emotional honesty in that than just having, oh, no, Luke was corrupted by the dark side and evil. <laughs> like, that is just so lame and there's no psychology to that. But there's lots of psychology to a character having been really traumatised by these awful things that happened and having taken the burden of guilt upon himself and having that weigh him down. On some level, as you say, we can all relate to those sorts of feelings. And I think that's really cool because Luke is the point of view character in the original trilogy. And he's not our protagonist anymore. But I do think it's so important that Luke remains a figure of empathy someone that we can understand and someone where his progression makes sense to us because i think if you don't have that then you're kind of doing a disservice to the original trilogy because it's saying oh you know all that time you spent invested in luke and thinking how relatable and human he was and how you cried with him when his father was dying in his arms 
Well, screw all that. He just made all these completely random, out-of-character decisions that make no sense for him. Balls. Yeah, the, it sounds as if Ryan has done a really great job of honouring who Luke was, um, but also developing him in a way that makes sense for the kind of archetype that they're going to be employing for Ray and Kylo's story. Mm. Like, I feel like it's a really great balancing act. Yeah. And that's that can be difficult, because as we've seen, Luke Skywalker is very precious to the Star Wars fandom. You have to tread lightly <laughs> yes. and be careful. But Ryan has said, like, I'm not going to just give in to that nostalgia and give you the exact same loop because what's the point? So exactly. it has to be an evolution that makes sense, but he also has to offer something new. Yeah. It's kind of like, if you think about music, I think a lot of people expect The Last Jedi to be a greatest hits album. And I think it's going to be a concept album that treads new ground while still referencing beats from the past <laughs> that is <laughs> how i'm conceptualizing it in my mind mm-hmm. <laughs> um and yet yeah, that excites me i love concept albums so yeah it's good um right is there anything else from that interview you want to discuss Kirsty? um i don't think there was anything else specifically it was just a great interview in general and a nice surprise cool Right, then the penultimate story, because luckily we're finally approaching the end, there's been lots and lots of news, um, is that Kathleen Kennedy went on this Star Wars show and talked about the future of Star Wars storytelling. And so she said, We're sitting down now, we're talking about the next ten years of Star Wars stories, and we're looking at, narratively, where that might go. Future stories beyond Episode Nine with these new characters, Ray, Poe, Finn, BB-8... But we're also looking at working with people who are interested in coming into the Star Wars world and taking us to places that we haven't seen yet. And that's exciting too, because it's a vast galaxy far, far away. The possibilities are endless. So, yeah, what what did you make of this comment, Kirsty? Um, I feel like she might have said something to this effect before, because they mm-hmm. obviously, or maybe it was Pablo on Twitter talking about the next 10 years of Star Wars stories. Um, but it just makes sense for them to be looking that far ahead, obviously in very broad strokes, like everything is not going to be mapped out, but there has yeah. to be kind of long-term plan to some extent. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'm just interested to see what they do with the trilogy structure, whether they, they yeah. keep on going, if, if there's going to be an episode 10 or if after this trilogy, it then just becomes standalones. I yes. personally am a fan of the trilogy structure, but I also understand why that might be limiting to them. Yeah. So I I really hope that whatever happens, they take a break from all the characters from the sequel trilogy for a while after episode nine, because I don't think you can just end episode nine and then pick up the story again after two years, like as if it were just like episode 10, like keep on, tro- keep on trotting. You know, like, I think if you do it that way, then you use lose some of the specialness of these films. And I don't think they'd feel like it's as much of an event, because it would just turn into a treadmill situation. I've, I'd much rather that they have a significant gap, and they let the characters lie for a while, and then they let a new story develop organically, and they find somebody who's really passionate about telling that story. And really wants to take creative ownership of it, like Ryan Johnson has of The Last Jedi, for example. Because I don't want to see these films become an obligation to shareholders, basically. <laughs> That's my greatest fear. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you, but I think you might be being a bit too optimistic. 
Yeah. I feel like they might they might start taking a Marvel approach and just mm. kind of mix these characters together in various combinations and you end up with like the Avengers and then you end up with solo movies and mm. I I can see it happening because Yeah. Money talks. Uh It's true. I guess I should say that I'm not opposed to like them continuing with a Star Wars fi- with a Star Wars film every year. What I'm opposed to is them continuing the story of the sequel trilogy with like just complete frequency over the next 10 years i feel like there has to be some kind of break so like i don't care if they go back and do like knights of the old republic trilogy or like obi-wan spin-off or darth maul spin-off whatever that's fine more power to you go and do it just take a bit of a break from ray finn poe kylo luke etc etc because i want to let that breathe Mm. but like you say, I might well be being too optimistic and we'll have to see. So I guess the thing is, when Ka- Kathleen Kennedy makes these comments, she is not clarifying what sort of story she means. Yeah, I think it's possible that they could be talking about animation. Yeah, And absolutely. then maybe they do a trilogy or more standalones that are completely out of the sequel trilogy timeline, but the animated stuff is about the sequel trilogy and these characters that we know. Yeah, exactly. Because we, we have to have something after Rebels, and we still don't know what that is yet. Yeah. And we don't even know when these stories would take place. I think the wording of her comments does kind of imply that she's talking about stories that take place after Episode Nine has wrapped up. Mm. But she might mean going back and telling stories that happened during the trilogy or even before the trilogy. So there's so much mystery. But yeah, I've seen lots of misinterpretation of these comments. So I've seen people discuss the this quote in particular as if it's proof that say Kylo Ren dies in episode 9 and what? of course that may what yeah yeah have you I, not I, seen that i i have i'm just expressing disbelief that anyone would think Kathleen Kennedy would be so stupid as to offer a spoiler like that on the Star Wars show oh, i know that's that, absolutely that. ridiculous it's like is the least likely place that anything like that would come out because this is like the is the state propaganda instrument of Lucasfilm, you know? <laughs> it's like, I'm sorry, but this is literally right at the epicentre of Lucasfilm. They are based in Lucasfilm. And they calculate absolutely everything that goes into this show. Kathleen Kennedy is not saying a single thing that she has not thought about very carefully and given considerable thought to. She's not just pulling names out of her ass. You know? <laughs> But she just isn't, you know, and there's a reason she's not saying Kylo Ren, and it's because he's probably the character where there's the biggest question mark over his fate. And you can't talk about Kylo Ren and future stories being told about him, but on episode nine, without essentially implying, yeah, no, he's fine, all works out <laughs> fine for him. Like, what, why, why are you asking these questions about redemption and will he live or die? It's all irrelevant. He survives. It's fine. Yeah, you needn't even bother watching. Yeah, exactly. It's not the freaking prequels where we knew who lived and died pretty much, you know? So, oh. Yeah, I go back and forth personally on whether I think Kylo will die or not. Um, Mm. Like, when The Force Awakens first came out, I kind of thought he would. But since then, I've been thinking more about the fact that, you know, Han Solo dies and Leia Organa will die. Mm. Um, people still debate about whether Luke will but because of mm. that I think it's unlikely that all of the solo family members are going to pass yeah. so 
I, yeah, I go back and forth on it, but it's it's not even it's not something that they're ever going to just casually slip because yeah. because it is a big question in the story. Like you say, the stakes are on that. Like, there's not really any question about whether Ray or Finn would die, except yeah, you know, this crack theory speculation, which is always fun. But the heroes aren't going to die like that. So yeah, the question would be as to whether the last Skywalker of this generation would die, because that's a big deal. Yeah, exactly. And like in the hypothetical scenario where Kylo is redeemed and he takes up the name Ben Solo again. Like, well, if Kathleen Kennedy were to accurately talk about the future, then she'd have to say Ray, Poe, Finn, Ben, BB. <laughs> Can you imagine if she just said that? <laughs> People well, would effing freak out. Spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah, might as well go home, guys. No point watching it. <laughs> oh, but yeah, it is a nice quote, and I do like it. It's just. The reaction to it has just been so absurd and the terms in which people have been talking about it. I'm sorry, I know I sound so superior. But, but what did people just... think that they'd be... Of course they would be looking past episode 9 because J.J. Abrams is writing episode 9 right now. They're going to start shooting it, you know, just a few months from now. Yeah. So, of course they're thinking about what's going to happen after that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I, I don't think people have been, like, surprised by that as much as they've been, like, making a big deal of the omission of Kylo's name, the omission of Luke's name, that sort of thing, you know? Which, as we've discussed, is absurd, because, of course, they're not going to mention them one way or another. Hmm, okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay, and then the very final thing to talk about, which I think we'll probably keep quite quick, because this has already been a very long news show. <laughs> this is like our older episodes, where we'd go for, like, two and a half hours. Yeah, and the thing is, with those older episodes, they were two and a half hours because we had spotlight discussions where we'd spend like one and a half hours talking about, I don't know, like feminism and stuff. I can't wait to get back to these after we get The Last Jedi. We're really going to yeah. drill down into these specific elements of the story. And I, oh, I totally. just love doing that. Yeah, yeah. No, I really love the spotlights. It's just, that's kind of like a finite number of things you can say, like, especially when you're focused on the sequel trilogy like we are. So. Yeah, that's why we haven't done them so much recently. Sorry if you missed them. If you have ideas, send them to us, and I promise we'll consider. Um, yeah, so Forces of Destiny. Um, I have watched all the new episodes. We're not going to go through them one by one, because we have more to say about some of them than others, you know? So we're just going to have a general conversation. Um, so yeah, which episodes did you like the most, Kirsty? Which one stood out to you as your favourites? Um, I think my favourites were the two Ahsoka ones, one where she's being taught by Anakin and Yoda, and then the one where she's teaching Padme how to pilot the jet fighter, and Padme ends up helping her. Mm-hmm. The starfighter stunt. Yes, and I also really liked the Hapabore hazard with Rey. <laughs> yes. I'm just such a sucker for Rey helping these poor little creatures, or poor big creatures. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, Hapabore's pretty big. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it kind of had that, like, gross cartoony element which i love yeah uh but again it's just more ray goodness um showing what a lovely nuanced character she is and how she has a lot of love to give yeah no so my favorites they were the ahsoka one where she's being trained by anakin again i love that pretty anakin for the win oh seriously protect pretty anakin at all costs (laughs) he shall come to no harm um then I really actually quite liked an Imperial Feast. 
Okay. Which is basically Leia bossing Han around. <laughs> that is why I did not like this episode that much. <laughs> I liked it for very superficial reasons. Yeah. I totally understand why you dislike it. Okay, so this ties in with my disappointment with Tracker Trouble, actually. The one with Finn, mm. which I was yeah. the most excited for. Yes. Uh, so I'm really bummed about that, to be honest. That um, I know it's for like young girls, primarily, so that's great. And it's probably doing a lot of corrective damage control for the way gender dynamics are treated a lot in media. But I do kind of feel like they're going for this thing where, oh, well, the woman always knows best. And the man <laughs> is just kind of this buffoon who needs to be, who needs to be set right. Because that's yes. kind of exactly what happens in Tracker Trouble with Ray and Finn. Yeah, and I, I really didn't like, like Tracker Trouble. Such a bummer. I thought the animation was adorable. I loved seeing Finn. But the way they wrote him, it didn't make sense in the context of his background as a stormtrooper because he would absolutely know what that bomb was and he would know not to touch it. Yeah. God's sake. <laughs> yeah. No, it made Finn look like a bit of a fool. Um, I, I think I preferred an Imperial Feast because I don't think it made Han look foolish as much as obstinate and stubborn. And like he needs Leia to insist on the fair way of doing things, as in, no, don't let the Ewoks cannibalize the enemy. It's not okay. Mm. Um, and while I think it's still a bit out of character, it didn't feel insulting to the character in the way that Tracker Trouble did with Finn. Yeah, it, definitely. Yeah. Like I still enjoyed the episode, and I, you know, I enjoyed all of them. It was just that was something that I had a real issue with Tracker Trouble, especially because I was really excited to see Finn in Forces of Destiny. Yeah. I'm hoping we see him another time in future. Um, and I guess now we know that Hera survives through to the Return of the Jedi timeline. Yeah. No, it was so cool to see her and Han interacting. Yeah. It was so cool to see the Ghost and the Falcon together as well and kind of get this fun, like, which ship's better. Yeah. No, <laughs> that was a really fun dynamic. I liked that. Um and yeah, I also really like the Happable Hazard um, because, yeah, again, I really like that this whole ongoing theme of Rey making friends with animals and them helping her do stuff, um, especially when it involves screwing over Uncle Platt because <laughs> that character is so deliciously hateable. It's well, you know, in the Star Wars Adventure comics, she ends up helping Uncar out. I think I saw that on Tumblr. I have I didn't read it properly, but I saw that was a thing. Is it kind of like she's tempted to leave him, but she's kind of like, oh, I need to be a good person and make sure he doesn't die? That yeah, kind of it's kind of like an episode of Forces of Destiny where there's this character or creature or whatever that seems to be antagonistic toward Rey, and then she does the right thing and helps them out, which is great. So does Unka help Rey out in the end in some way? Or? Yeah, he ends up giving her a load of portions. So. Oh, okay. Well, that's good. He's still an asshole, but at oh, least in that situation, yeah. he paid her back. So, Yeah. So, she's very compassionate. <laughs> and, and yeah, I just I just love seeing more Ray. But um, the, <laughs> I think the one that actually bothered me most, because it didn't seem like there was a clear moral to the story, was Crash Course <laughs> with Sabine and Ketsu. Poor Sabine! <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> she just destroyed her bike and then it was like oh well that's what I do and then Hera wouldn't allow Sabine to even <laughs> be angry with her friends I think the though... message of Crash Course is that you should be a doormat to your friends no matter how much they screw you over <laughs> I, mean, I guess the overall message is you know everyone makes mistakes it's okay you can work together and make it better 
But like the way that I think it's because it's condensed into like this two and a half minute thing. The cat yes. literally like crashed that speeder, hopped <laughs> on the Sabines, and then did the exact same thing and wasn't even like, Oh, I'm really sorry, I know that you love that bike and put a lot of work into it. Especially because the first time she crashed the speeder, so the time we actually see it, it seemed like such needless destruction. <laughs> yeah, like, it was just you it wasn't even like there was something easily. in the way. It was just like, oh, that's how I get off my bike. <laughs> <laughs> it was so unnecessary. Uh, yeah, it just made Katsu seem like an asshole. It did. Oh, yeah. I was like, okay. I guess Sabine is just... Oh, poor Sabine. Yeah. I think that one needed a stronger moral imperative, shall we say. <laughs> or like, um, even when she said, like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you how to fix the speeder... Ketsu looked kind of mad. <laughs> like, oh, guess I'm going to have to do that for the next few days, huh? <laughs> the moral of the story is do not befriend Ketsu. She will destroy all your stuff and be an asshole about it. Oh, yeah. Mm. So I've enjoyed all of the episodes. I think the animation is really cute. I know a lot of people have misgivings about the animation. It doesn't bother me at all. Because I think yeah. it's right for what these kind of cartoons are for. Um, mm. But yeah, like... The first round of Forces of Destiny, it was like each of the episodes had a clear moral of like, yeah, this is what heroes do, you know? Yeah. And, but the, especially like coming back to the Tracker Trouble one, it was just like Ray solved the problem. And then it was like, oh, we make a great team. But it was just Ray because the only thing that Finn had to do was go and tell Han that he'd fucked up. Mm. You know? So I, I would really have liked to have seen Finn do more of the heroic stuff. Yeah, Finn wasn't really active at all in that episode. That was the problem. Because, yeah, like, I know Imperial Feast didn't depict Han in the best light, but he still did stuff. He was still a participant in the story. Mm -hmm. And Finn really just felt like an afterthought. And that was a bit sad. Yeah. So hopefully we see him again. I I don't know how many more of these we're going to keep getting. I know there are more to come in 2018. Um, but yeah, if they if we do get another Finn episode, I hope I like it more. Exactly. Fingers crossed. Um, right. I think we're okay to leave it there. Would you say so too, Kirsty? Yeah. Okay, We've cool. Probably had more than enough to discuss here. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> very, very meaty. Definitely no shortage of news. Um, yeah, so who knows what further wonders the next week will bring, but I know I, for one, am very excited. Seriously, this whole week, it was like, Every single morning I was waking up because of the time difference to find out that something really exciting and new had happened. Mm -hmm. So like on Monday, it was like GQ interview. On Tuesday, it was like Adam interviewing Daisy. On Wednesday, it was like a new TV spot, you know, that kind of thing. And it was like, oh my God. It's like a Star Wars advent calendar. (laughs) Yeah, but like way more days than like the 12 days of Christmas or whatever. (laughs) It's great. (laughs) (sighs) Um, Right. So I'm Rachel. You can find me at Star Wars Nonsense on Tumblr and at Journal of the Star Wars on WordPress. Where can people find you, Kirsty? I'm Bastila Bay on Tumblr and Scavengers Horde on Twitter. Thank you so much for listening, and until next time, bye. Bye. bye.